Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Reading Wave podcast. I'm David. You know, to introduce the Reading Wave podcast, I wrote a terrific script about how worthy and virtuous an educational reading can be. Well, I want you to imagine me taking that full-scap sheet of paper, that's A4 for the technical, crumpling it up into a little ball and chucking it into the waste paper basket. Because I just thought, people are doing Joe Wicks workouts, they're pedalling exercise bikes like mad and going nowhere, they're burning failed attempts trying to learn to cook, or whatever else to try and keep sane in these times. And why not? But I just want you to take a deep breath, relax, read a book, or even listen to one. So here are a few ideas from me. Let's get started. My first offering is from George Orwell and it's the opening lines of 1984. It was a bright cold day in April and the clocks were striking 13. Winston Smith, his chin nuzzled into his breast in an effort to escape the wind, slipped quickly through the glass doors of Victory Mansions, though not quickly enough to prevent a swirl of gritty dust from entering along with him. The hallway smelt of boiled cabbage and old rag mats. At one end of it, a coloured poster, too large for indoor display, had been tacked to the wall. It depicted simply an enormous face, more than a metre wide, the face of a man about 45, with a heavy black moustache and ruggedly handsome features. Winston made for the stairs. It was no use trying the lift. Even at the best of times it was seldom working and at present the electric current was cut off during daylight hours. It was part of the economy drive in preparation for hate week. The flat was seven flights up and Winston, who was 39 and had a varicose ulcer above his right ankle, went slowly, resting several times on the way. On each landing, opposite the lift shaft, the poster with the enormous face gazed from the wall. It was one of those pictures which are so contrived that the eyes follow you about when you move. Big Brother is watching you. The caption beneath it ran. This book was first published in 1949 and a number of films have been produced from it since. There have been at least three versions filmed, including The 1984, starring John Hurt as Winston Smith, which was released in October 1984. Do you see what they did there? The opening lines of the book introduce us immediately into a totalitarian dystopia and the idea of clocks striking 13 times is eerie. To lighten the mood a little, the next extract is from Kenneth Graham's Wind in the Willows, a timeless children's classic that adults as well as children will adore forever. Do you know I've never been in a boat before in all my life. What? cried the rat, open-mouthed. Never been in a... You never... Well, I... What have you been doing then? Is it so nice as all that? asked the mole shyly, though he was quite prepared to believe it, 
as he leant back in his seat and surveyed the cushions, the oars, the rowlocks and all the fascinating fittings and felt the boat sway lightly under him. Nice, it's the only thing, said the water rat solemnly as he leant forward for his stroke. Believe me, my young friend, there is nothing, absolute nothing, half so much worth doing as simply messing about in boats. Simply messing about in boats. Messing. Of course, it's one of those timeless children's classics that sold millions of books, been brought to life on stage and film and spawned many copies and imitations. Here, I just want to make a quick point for us all to mull over. I've read somewhere that classic works of literature, for instance, Emily Dickinson, Tolstoy, Dickens and the like, are better for us than self-help books. Apparently, the language requires more concentration, which challenges our brains more. So, reading classics works can help us alleviate depression, moderate dementia and help with mental health, according to a book called Reading for Life by Professor Philip Davis, whose book is based on research by Liverpool University after monitoring the brain activity of volunteers as they read classic texts. Well, I could say, who knew? But really, I think a few of us did already, didn't we? Okay, well, we're on to number three. And it's from John Steinbeck's The Grapes of Wrath. Some of the owner men were kind because they hated what they had to do. And some of them were angry because they hated to be cruel. And some of them were cold because they had long ago found out that one could not be an owner unless one were cold. And all of them were caught in something larger than themselves. Some of them hated the mathematics that drove them. Some were afraid and some worshipped the mathematics because it provided a refuge from thought and from feeling. If a bank or a finance company owned the land, the owner man said, the bank or the company needs, wants, insists, must have, as though the bank or the company were a monster, with thought and feeling which had ensnared them. These last would take no responsibility for the banks or the companies because they were men and slaves, and while the banks were machines and masters all at the same time, some of the owner men were a little proud to be slaves to such cold and powerful masters. The owner men sat in the cars and explained, you know the land is poor, you've scrabbled at it long enough, God knows. This book takes you into America's period of the Great Depression in the 1930s. It was instrumental in Steinbeck being awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1962. Now, for a change of pace, and a change of voice, I would like to introduce two wonderful actors to you, Madeleine McMahon and Andy McLeod. The first reading is from Sophocles' play Antigone. Madeleine McMahon 
reads Antigone's speech to her sister Ismene after their two brothers, Echicles and Polynices, have killed each other in battle, fighting for the kingdom of Thebes. Well, what do you think, Ismene? Perhaps you can guess. We have two brothers, both of them dead, and Creon has decreed that a decent burial shall be given to one, but not to the other. Eticles apparently has already been buried with full military honours and all the formalities due to the dead meticulously observed so that his rest in the underworld among the heroes is assured. But Polynices, who died in agony just as certainly as his brother did, is not to be buried at all. The decree makes that quite plain. He is to be left lying where he fell with no tears and no ceremonies of mourning to stink in the open till the kites and vultures catch the scent and tear him to pieces and pick him to the bone. Left unburied, there is no rest for him in the underworld, no more than here. What a great king our Creon is, a eh, sister. It's against us, you realise, and against me in particular that he has published this decree, and he'll soon be here himself to make it public to the senators, and anyone who may not have heard it. He isn't bluffing. He means to act to make it stick. The punishment for anyone who disobeys the order is public stoning to death. So, that's the news. And you know it now. The time has come for you two to stand up and be counted with me and to show whether you are worthy of the honour of being Oedipus's daughter. This occurs at the beginning of the play and already we know we have killings, treachery, disrespect of funeral rites, family dispute. Do you want to hear more from this story? Well, of course you do. So grab hold of a copy. Now... I'd like you to hear Andy McLeod reading the opening lines of the chorus from William Shakespeare's Henry V. Oh, for a muse of fire that would ascend the brightest heaven of invention, a kingdom for a stage, princes to act, and monarchs to behold the swelling scene. Then should the warlike Harry, like himself, assume the port of Mars, and at his heels, leashed in like hounds, should famine, sword, and fire crouch for employment. But pardon, gentles all, the flat, unraised spirits that hath dared on this unworthy scaffold to bring forth such great an object. Can this cockpit hold the vasty fields of France? Or may we cram within this wooden other very casks that did affright the air at Agincourt? Oh, pardon, since a crooked figure may attest in little place of million, and let us ciphers to this greater compte on your imaginary forces work. Suppose within the girdle of these walls are now confined two mighty monarchies, whose high, uprearied and abutting fronts the perilous narrow ocean parts asunder. Peace out our imperfections with your thoughts. Into a thousand parts divide one man and make imaginary puissance. Think when we talk of horses that you see them printing their proud hoofs to the receiving earth, for tis your thoughts that now must deck our kings, carry them here and there, jumping o'er times, turning the accomplishment of many years into an hourglass, for the which supply admit me chorus to this history who, prologue-like, your humble patience pray, gently to hear, kindly to judge our play. What's happening here is Shakespeare is setting the scene for the great story that's to follow, and he is asking his audience to let their imagina imagination fly. So, 
great writing, whether it's on the page, on the stage, in films, on the telly, on a computer or phone screen, or an audio book. If the writing is great, it will stir your imagination. Shakespeare knew that, and a lot of other great writers too. I play these pieces of drama because a lot of people find them dry and difficult to read on the page. But when excellent actors like these two bring great writers' work to life like this, the language crackles with excitement. And to end with, here's the final paragraph from George Orwell's Animal Farm. Twelve voices were shouting in anger, and they were all alike. No question now what had happened to the faces of the pigs. The creatures outside looked from pig to man, and from man to pig, and from pig to man again. But already it was impossible to say which was which. This speech comes after a drinking session and card game that ended in a dispute about cheating. Before I go, I would like to thank my guest readers for their choices and beautiful readings. Madeline McMahon, who read from the play Antigone by Sophocles, and Andy MacLeod for reading the opening lines from Shakespeare's Henry V. So, thank you for listening to The Reading Wave. I hope you've enjoyed it and we've given you some ideas to fill your reading time. Stay safe, stay sane, and goodbye until the next time.